we're going to talk about how to rebuild a nation. <laughs> it's crazy. We're doing this on this show. It's very important to discover why you are in this world. Your destiny is more powerful than your desires, your ambitions, what people want you to do. And the only thing that can prevent you from fulfilling your destiny is you. Welcome to the TLT Movement Podcast, a podcast for tomorrow's leaders today. In this episode, we have a very special guest, Dr. Peter Morgan. I had to take some notes on his accolades because it's so lengthy. I don't want to miss anything. So he is in the academia world. He's the dean of postgraduate program uh, in Nazarene College in Trinidad. It's awesome. He, He specializes in psychology and social work. He has a background as a pastor and education within the government. Uh, He led the development of the guidance and counseling in the school systems of Jamaica. Just super cool. He was a big, played a big crucial role in a movement in the 1970s in Jamaica that reawakened the church and brought a charismatic movement. and, And he really specializes, I think, if, if we're going to encapsulate it in, in a single phrase, in a nation transformation. That is kind of what you do. Uh, you establish the International Third War- World Leaders Association. And pretty much, he's a huge, he's just a leader. He's a movement maker. And we are blessed to have him on the show today. So without further ado, let's jump right into it. Wow. So thank you so very much. <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me of all of those kinds of stuff. That was a <laughs> lot of things. You There's prob- a lot of perhaps things. Perhaps I've been living over 100 years now, if I have done all of that kind of thing. But it was has been a very exciting life for me from as a teenager. As a matter of fact, as you said that, I kept asking myself, how did I ever get into nation transformation? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, but I remember when I was a teenager, I used to go and um, get involved in the inner city and, um, and to work with the poor. And I used to go and, um, and interview people and visit their homes to see, you know, they would apply to the government and apply to these organizations to get uh, stuff to help them. Sure. And, and from as a teenager, they sent me to go and interview people and, and see whether they are for true, for real. Mm. <laughs> and I remember writing a, a, an article when I was about 17, 18 years old, and I ended it like this. I said, the people that you fail to lift up from the ground may one day put you under it. Mm. I didn't realize that that was going to become my life. Wow, that that is so huge, and it's been developing since you were a t- teenager. I know oh, a yes. lot of our audience are a teenager and young adults, mm-hmm. and I hear from a lot of young people. They're just like, ah, like I want to be a leader. I want to start a movement. I just, I just feel like I am not 
don't have the expertise. I don't, yes. I don't have what it takes. Nobody l- l- listens to me. Yeah. So, but yeah. but you're saying that it, it kind of starts at that age. Oh yeah, it starts. It then up. you become very sensitive to the needs of people because you see people out there. People are poor. You know, they blame people for becoming criminals. <laughs> they, they, sure. They, you know, people become oppressed because of poverty. They get locked into a system that they cannot get out of, you know. And um, and I observed a lot of that. I didn't grow up in a poverty setting, but I grew up with a sensitivity towards it. Mm. And, um, and that is really what disturbed me when I saw how they blame people so much. And those persons, some of them were my good friends. I was a sportsman, so I mixed a lot with people from different settings. Sure. And, um, and what I realized is that uh, people are victims of the systems, of the organizations. Of or they think they are. Ah, they think they are. And that is really the mentality that you have to break them out of. Mm. To tell them, ah, don't let anybody think you're poor. Poverty is not just defined in monetary terms. Sure. Poverty is a mindset, mm. you see. And really what you need to have is a wealth of ideas, even more than w- a lot of riches. Wealth it's of a ideas. wealth of ideas that gives you the potential to become rich. Yes. You see? I, I met you this weekend at the Christians in Action trade show. You flew That's in correct. to to <coughs> speak. And your whole talk was about that, about wealth versus riches. Can you kind of explain for our audience what the difference is? Because a lot of the times those two terms are used interchangeably. They're used interchangeably, even in the way people talk about the Bible. And sometimes they're talking about riches, but they're talking about wealth or wealth or riches and so on. But if you study the scriptures very carefully, you will see that there is a distinction made in the scriptures between riches and wealth. Because riches is usually defined in monetary terms. Right. You can count how rich you are, but you can't measure how wealthy you are. Mm. You know? So uh, riches uh, describes what you go after for your own benefit, personally. And usually to get rich, you have to take advantage of other people. You see? And they become poorer while you get rich. Sure. Or you become powerful over them and want them to serve you. And that's how you get rich, mm. you see. But wealth really has to do not so much, you can't count your wealth. Wealth has to do with your potential. So, for example, if you, if you have a lot of land, you're wealthy. You can't count it in financial terms is the money is not in the bank but again you have you don't say i have rich ideas you say i have a wealth of ideas because your ideas is really your potential so i love that land analogy because you're so right it's not so much the land that is valuable itself it's the potential that you can make out of the land and sometimes when you have land you can measure it in hectares and, and so on, but you never realize 
what may be underneath it. The oil that may be under there right. or the precious jewels that are under there, you know. So, so we really do need to make a distinction between wealth and the other thing about wealth, you know, is that wealth is not really just for the individual. Wealth is a corporate commodity, mm. you see. And um, Jesus spoke about it. He said, you know, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom. Right, it's, it's harder than a camel going th through the eye of a needle. Pre precisely. And, and remember that um, Zacchaeus, who became very rich, you know, at the people's expense, <laughs> and when, when he invited Jesus to his home, or I should say Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' <laughs> home, and, um, and Zacchaeus realized that being rich and having all of this money was not the answer. So he stood up and he told the people. He said, I am going to sell what I have and give to the poor. You know? So in a sense, riches is not really bad, you know. Mm. It's just hard to get in the kingdom. If you value riches, and Jesus put it this way, it's, it's, it's like the spirit of mammon against the spirit of God. God is your potential. Mammon eats you out, mm. you see? But if you, Jesus told this story and he said, you know, if you have riches and you hoard it, you lose it. But if you sell it or if you uh, invest it, then you gain more. Can you imagine using the example again of land? If you have a million dollars, you put it in the bank. It loses value. Totally. At least 5 10% in, in the next five, five years. But if you were to purchase property, that property in 5, 10 years will increase in value by 20, 30%. Sure. You know, so wealth describes potential. Riches describes what... You have and you lose unless you invest it or unless you share it and let people benefit. When people benefit from what you have, you become wealthy. I see. <laughs> so so I, I know a good amount of rich people. Yes. I think they would say something along the lines of, well, you need money to make an impact at all. Ah, and it's the impact that is really your wealth. I see. Not having the money. Mm. It's what you do with the money. The man who took and got rich, very rich, and hoarded it, he didn't realize that he can't take it with him. Right. But if he had influenced people with it, when he goes to heaven, he's going to hear something like, well done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> That's the goal, and you can increase. The Father in heaven is going to give you more. Mm. You see? So that's a very interesting That is very uh, interesting. Thing. Yeah. That is very, very interesting, and you're right. It, it, but it's kind of hard to have that much faith to really believe that sowing into somebody else or – because sowing and – has to – would you agree that's kind of an – 
interchangeable concept? Yes. Okay. You, you do need to learn to sow. You never know what you will get in return. Right. But it, it will is far better to sow. And if you are wise and you sow into good ground, mm. you don't know what the returns will be, but it will be exponential. But if you hoard your riches or if you consume it on yourself, right. it loses value. Mm, I see. That's revolutionary. That really <laughs> is revolutionary. And, and you don't you realize that a lot of rich people today are very unhappy? I Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of them now are looking for ways in which they can express their benevolence and they can uh, help people and, and transform communities and, and all of that. This is a way to go. And it's part of the revolutionary way that Jesus taught his people. People wow. are still asking the question, you know, was Jesus rich? Don't measure Jesus in monetary terms. He was wealthy. Very. He knew where to get money <laughs> to pay taxes. Sure. We don't know if it came out of Judas's um <laughs> A bank account, <laughs> you know. Sure. But what we do know is that whenever he needed anything, he knew where to source it. Right. And that's wealth. Yes, I'm, I'm understanding more and more as I live. I've always grown up interested in the film industry. Everybody oh. that, that's in it t t tells you it's who you know. True. Because you have to know. But I realize it's not just the film industry. No. It's the life industry. It's... And in, in when you have a wealth of community, yeah. of people that love you, that care about you, that believe in you, that's worth so much more. There is more security in the people who trust you wow. than in the money that you get from them. Wow, that's good. That is good. Holy cow. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's like mind-blowing. Uh, I feel... Like I have a good community, that my family loves me, mm -hmm. that I am. I I wish to be trustworthy. Indeed. How can one gain trustworthiness when they don't fully even trust themselves? Well, you know, one of the things that Jesus has taught us, and it's not just. Jesus, he was teaching from out of the laws of Moses. He says, the first thing you need to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your might, and your, 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 your strength. Yeah. And he said, and you have to learn to love yourself, or rather love others as you love yourself. Mm. It's very dangerous to love others and you don't love yourself. Mm. You see? What what could be the potential bad outcome? The bad outcome is that you love others and you will judge them when they seem to do something wrong. Mm. You will blame them. You will condemn them. Mm. You will mistreat them. You'll take advantage of them. But if you love... <coughs> if And we do that because we don't love ourselves. And we use others. But what we do need to be able to do is to have a confidence about who we are. Wow. If I have confidence about who I am, I will never use other people. I will bless them. I will give to them. 
and then they will give unto you. That's what Jesus says. Give and it shall be given unto you. That's really where you begin, you know. But you never give unless you have confidence because you're always afraid. If you don't have confidence, you're always trying to save yourself. Sure. Trying to redeem yourself. Trying to make yourself look good. Trying to gain power for yourself. Sure. <laughs> but if I have confidence in myself, then I'm prepared to give to others. And the more you give to others is the more they trust you because they realize that you're not trying to take advantage of them. You're really trying to empower them. And when you say give, you don't just mean monetarily. Not you at mean, all. You mean your time, not your energy, all. your... Yeah, commitment. your gifts, yourself. Mm. You give yourself to people. So they don't see you as a threat to themselves. They actually see you as a potential, you know, as somebody that they can uh, put their confidence and trust in. Wow, oh that's yes. very good. You used this word earlier, revolutionary. Mm. I, just the little time that I've known you, I would say that you are a revolutionary man. And you, in Jamaica, to my understanding, you are starting a revolution. Mm -hmm. um, you call it the quiet revolution. That's very important. See, I learned in my study of Jesus, who really is my hero, not just a religious leader. Jesus is my hero. The more I study him, the more I realize that he is the most outstanding leader that ever lived. Mm. And I realized that he was a revolutionary. But I make a distinction between <coughs> a revolutionary and a rebellious person. Mm. A rebellious person fights against others, tears them down, criticizes the government, <laughs> tries to take advantage of people. They are rebellious against the past. Jesus never was. Actually, Jesus says, don't worry about Caesar. You give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But give unto God what belongs to God. And what Jesus really did was not try to destroy Rome. What he did was he came and announced that there's another kingdom. Mm. And the way he spoke about this new empire or kingdom, the people couldn't resist him. He said, seek first the kingdom, the rulership, the government of God. And all the things that you're looking to roam for <laughs> will come following you. Right. You don't have to go pursuing it, you see. And, and when he made this statement, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We think it's a religious expression. But when he said it, it wasn't. There's a whole saying that we still say today, all roads lead to Rome. Right. But Jesus says, I have another road. I have another way altogether. Caesar was regarded as a padre, the father. He says, if you really want to come to the father, I have a new way wow. for you to follow. Wow. You see? Yes. So he was speaking revolutionary terms. He was very conscious 
of the, the power blocks. There was a political power block. <laughs> there was a religious power block. There was a media power block. There was a military power block. There was an educational power block in Jesus' day. And those power blocks resisted Jesus. But you can find statements that show you that Jesus didn't fight against those power blocks. Rather, he created his own power block. He spent three years preparing men. He took them from their occupations. Some of them were fishermen. <laughs> Some of them were businessmen, tax collectors, political people, you see, and, and, and a number of women too. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. And after three years, he said to them, he was in the midst of Caesarea Philippi, which was one of the great cities of Rome. And, um, and the leaders had already come to attack him and ask him questions. And then when he got aside <laughs> with his disciples, he said to them, who do people think I am? And they were questioning themselves. And Peter said, why, you are the Christ, the Messiah, yeah. the Son of the living God. That's an expression that, again, it becomes religious to us. But you have to understand in those days, when you said you are the son of a living God, Caesar was God, you know. Sure. <laughs> but he's going to die. But when he says you're the son of the living God, he was talking about the God who never dies, that life comes from him. Life is not given to him. And then he said, you know, Peter, you've said something that is revolutionary. He says, upon this, I will build my ecclesia, which is a city council. Mm. And he says, the gates of hell shall not be able to withstand you. Gates of hell was an expression he used to describe the authorities within the world. They will you will be an unstoppable people because, he says, I'm going to give you the keys. Kingdom of heaven is really the resource. We religionize heaven, but scientists know out there that everything we need down here comes from out there in the stratosphere. You see? And he says, I'm going to give you the keys. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. That's actually a judicial term. You know, like you go to court and say, guilty or not guilty. Right. right? <clears throat> so that's a judicial term. We will have the capacity, he says, to, to, uh, to, to the resources of wealth that we need on earth. You see? And, um, and really, that is really what he was teaching them. And he equipped them and empowered them with not money, but with the same spirit that was working inside of him. Mm. Because he says the kingdom of God is not in here or out there, and it's inside of you first. And it's very important for us to understand that his final instructions to the men that he taught and trained, and the women, gave them three instructions. 
going to all the world and disciple nations. Now I know we disciple people in church, but it's a different word altogether. To disciple nations means to teach them and train them and acculturate them. It's a word for culture. Disciple nations. You see? <coughs> then he also told them, when you go out into the world, I want you to evangelize the people. Right. That so disciple nations disciple evangelize people. Yeah. Discipling nations has to do with um, bringing the principles of governance through education, through all the different the media and all the different means and the dynamics of life. Bring it to nations. But you bring it based on kingdom principles. And he says, then I want you to evangelize people. The reason for nations, he says, and Paul explains it, is so that men might come to know God. Mm. If your nation is not building itself as an environment in which people can come to appreciate and to know God, that nation will be destroyed. And I can trace that in history for you. <laughs> you see? Oh, but yes. And, and then the third thing he told them was, I want you guys to stay together because I'm going to empower you. This is a promise of the Father. That's why I came to this earth. Mm. So that you can be empowered with the same spirit that raised me from the dead. Have it the will same empower power. you so that wherever you go in the world, you will be able to bring the presence of God there. Wow. Now, that is most remarkable. And, <coughs> and there is a strategy. We don't perhaps time to go into it, but it's something that practically we could, could go into. You know, um, how you lead a community, how you lead a people, how you lead a nation from becoming a poverty-stricken nation. You know, I come from the Caribbean, third world countries. Right. <laughs> how, you, how you transform them. They're not transformed if America starts to give you money and Canada and Britain and, you know, Russia and China. No. Your empowerment must come from within you. Wow. And then you don't have to pay China, you know, taxes, France taxes and, you know, and so on. No, it comes from your the wealth of who you are. If we can only discover who we really are. Yes. We're going to get into that because I think this is probably one of the most important conversations that's ever happened on this podcast. And we're going to get into that right after this quick commercial break. This episode is brought to you by TLT Conference. We're not selling you a product, a razor, a supplement, you know. We don't have a promo code, but we have a very, very special opportunity for our TLT, Tomorrow's Leaders Today out there. We have a conference that we've been doing now for nine years. I went when I was 16, transformed my life, and now I'm here hosting the TLT Movement podcast and on the board of directors and making all the videos for TLT, and it has changed my life for the better to be a part of a community that really cares to bring you up, grow you. This is exactly what we're offering this summer, July 16th through the 18th. We have TLT Stand. 
the first part of our three-part program that is guaranteed to transform you the way that you think to become a leader and a movement maker like Dr. Peter Morgan. Uh, TLT Stand is a three-day, two-night experience on Pompano Beach, Florida, right on the beach, beautiful sunshine state, and is a transformational, intensive experience. It's a hands-on curriculum, but it goes well beyond the three days. The three days are just a launching pad. TLT Stand is actually a one-year mentorship opportunity. The mentors that you are, you will be in your room with and be right alongside you during this experience are going to be with you the whole year and help you out with whatever you need, school, job interview, resume, anything like that. They're here for you to help take this education far beyond these three days. So if you're interested to register, you can register today at tltmovement.com. All right, we're going to get back into the show with Dr. Peter Morgan. We're back from our commercial break, and we're going to we're going to talk about how to rebuild a nation. <laughs> it's crazy. We're doing this on this show, but yeah. man, this is such a this is a very very fun and powerful conversation that we are having. So, what's amazing is you're not just talking concepts that you've read from a book and you're now reiterating. You are you're at the front lines doing this <laughs> stuff in the Caribbean, which is really 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 awesome. Yeah, well, it's actually it's part of my experience. Right. And one of the things I've discovered is that, you know, you'd never, a lot of the times we don't understand the scriptures or the Bible because we, we're tackling it from a cognitive uh, perspective, you know, and we're using our minds. But one of the things I discovered is that um, when you've had an experience, then your experience allows you to uh, then see what the scripture means. It's like, can you imagine these, these disciples after Jesus was crucified and, and even after he rose again from the dead, they were hiding, you know. Sure. And they, they isolated themselves in this upper room, you know, and so forth. And yet, although Jesus had spoken to them about the Holy Spirit and all of that, but they don't understand it, you see. And then he told them to remain together in Jerusalem. When the day of Pentecost came, what really happened on the day of Pentecost is that the, the Holy Spirit came and literally blew their minds. <laughs> and can you imagine, can you imagine, Peter, who denied Jesus, those 120 persons that had cloistered themselves away and hiding, when the Holy Spirit came and Jerusalem was filled, with, you know, the people had come for the festival of Pentecost and so on, and thousands of people from all across the diaspora came, you see. And they said, wow, those guys must be drunk. Look at all they're carrying on, you see. And Peter stood with the twelve. Yes. Or they live. <laughs> and stood up in the midst of this vast, mass crowd and said to them we are not drunk as you think but this is where it comes from and he quoted from Joel right we we talked about this at church th this Friday but that is so because that's what happened at Pentecost right. but you see 
we don't understand how revolutionary that was that Peter suddenly understood Joel. They would never have believed, certainly not in the Old Testament times, that young servants, maidens, and the youth and, and women, you know, would be prophesying. Right. Prophets are these mighty men who are anointed and sent out, you know. But, but when the Holy Spirit would come, it would create a revolution amongst the people. And that is that gave Peter an understanding of that prophecy. And he stood up and he delivered a message that was so radical. Is it 5,000 people who gave their lives to the Lord that same day? Wow. Amazing. Wow. And, and this is really what we... Is, is happening to us today. The charismatic movement and the rediscovery of the power of the Holy Spirit and um, has led us to believe in the supernatural and to recognize that life is not governed by the natural man. Life must be governed by the spiritual man, mm. you see, that has the ability to, to challenge the oppression the poverty, the deception, the disillusionment, you know, the demeaning that people go through. The Holy Spirit must shatter that. That's the kingdom of God inside of you. That you have to rediscover who you are. So you believe the way to build a nation is on the foundation of Christ in the Holy Spirit. In the life of the individual. Jesus said, you know, the kingdom is in you. Mm. And when the Holy Spirit came in Pentecost, it didn't just come on the 120. It came on each of them, it said, began to speak. In tongues. In tongues. Addressing the multitudes of persons out there. And Peter explained. He said, you know, no, no, we're not drunk as you think. <laughs> it's too early today to even get drunk. <laughs> right. You see? But he said, this is what was spoken of by Joel. And he said, in these last days, the Holy Spirit would come. Young men shall dream dreams. Old men shall see visions. And upon my handmaidens, upon the women, upon children, upon people, they will begin to speak as if straight from God. That's what prophesying is. And people will be able See? to interpret. And people would understand it. Right. It would speak directly into their circumstance and situation. Mm. You see? And, of course, on that day, thousands of people just gave their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really one of the things that um, I'm teaching now about, I call it the five key questions or the five KQs. Yeah. Right? And the five KQs are very important for us to, to explore. You know? W what are they? Well, it begins, uh, the first question that people ask is, who am I? Who am I? The I is important. Mm. The subject word. 
And um, when you ask people who am I, they answer in so many different ways. You know, my name. I'm from the Morgan clan. You know, sure. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm a Jamaican, or I come from here, or you know, but that's not who I am. Who I am, when God made me, He made me in His image, mm. with a potential that is remarkable. He gifted me because He had in mind that in the year 20, so on, so on, so on, this is going to be needed in Jamaica. This is going to be needed in the U.S. This is going to be needed in Africa. This is going to be needed out there. And I am creating a set of people. And I'm knitting them together in their mother's womb. You see? That's why it's so dangerous to support abortion. Because you're aborting the purpose of God. Wow. You're destroying the future. You see, I know you may not like the way you got pregnant, <laughs> or you, you 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 may be afraid of it. You, but forget yourself. Let that child come forth because it's not of it's, it's it's not you. It's not you. Yeah, you see. So, who am I? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am knitted together, for, you know, by God. Before. I was conceived, he knew me. That's why I was conceived. Mm. And, and when you begin to describe yourself in that way, and you look at examples, it's all here in the scriptures, you know, Jeremiah, God spoke about that, you know. Um, before Jesus came, prophecies came about who he would be, before John was born. And, and there are examples like that. Even when you look, I think it's Rebecca in the Old Testament, when God says, two nations are in your womb. You see, we just think it's two seeds. No, 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 no. God had two nations in mind. You see? So who am I is very important to be able to define in defined terms. Divine terms. You see, I am a child of God. Okay, that's the first question. The second question is, so how did I become me? I ask it in another way. So where did I re where did I really come from? Well, I became me because of the environment in which I was brought up. Yes. And we are literally destroyed by our environment or built up. Or but this point I'm making okay. is that people are destroyed by their environment. Yes. You see? Until, so you can talk about your, your mother, your father, your school teacher, you know, the guys in the community, you know, you, in, your whole environment has made you and your culture. We're having a lot of confusion today because of what our culture is telling us. Sure. You know, it's, it's destructive. You're right, yeah. See, so that's why I was made in the image of God has become... Me, which is an object, you see? And then the third K, the third question is, so why am I here? That's a question of purpose. You have the question of identity. Then you have the question of heritage. Now you have the question of purpose. Why am I here? Identity, heritage, purpose. purpose. 
And that's what we have to discover. People commit suicide because they don't know why they're here. Sure. They say, why am I living? I have nothing to live for. You know, people destroy each other, you know, just to establish themselves. But why am I here? It's a very, it's a key question that we have to answer. And there are ways in which we can do it. And I am a psychologist. I don't call myself a psychologist, but, but I go back into the mind and into the experiences of people and, and look at what they have been through in their upbringing and all of that and, and, and so on. And uh, you can discover your purpose in different ways, what your interests are, what your gifts are, and you can develop them by the opportunities that come, and you take advantage of them. And you, it's very important to discover why you are in this world. And that goes far beyond career. Oh, y- oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's really not your career, no, it's just another word, you see? It's your calling, it's your, I call it occupation, you see? Because your career, you could be a doctor, you sure. could be a lawyer, you could be, but you could be a terrible lawyer, terrible doctor, inefficient and terrible architect, and engineer, <laughs> yeah. you see? So it's not your profession so much. That's your training, mm. you see? But you have to discover what your what you are ordained from the foundation of the world <laughs> to become. And that is really your purpose. Wow. And, you and so just st- already cut you off. Yeah. Proceed. And, 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 and that's really your purpose. Your, your purpose is what will make you be the kind of doctor you need to be or the kind of architect you need to be or the kind of engineer that you need to be or the kind of media personality that you need to be you see purpose is really what fulfills your life i have friends you know when i was growing up my father said peter i want you to be a lawyer but i never became a lawyer that's another story but a lot of my friends became lawyers and i can show you now two of my closest friends from way back in school days, they became lawyers, very successful, and they left it mm. because they said it didn't fulfill them. And now they're doing other stuff that is fulfilling them in life. And you know something is fulfilling to you when it energizes you, when when it becomes in the, almost a little bit of an obs- obsession. It's like all you can think about, and it's it's something that I feel fortunate enough to have found in the videography yes. to tell people's stories, to uh. to tell the story of a business, to tell the st- to, to get it out there. Yeah. I I And you know what I you're saying? It. It's not about you. Right. It's about them. It's about finding call it word purpose for other people. That's what fulfills you. You know? Again I say when you go up there, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful, faithful servant. You know, you have to be faithful to your purpose. Wow. You know, if you're traveling the wrong road, you might hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you because I didn't birth you for that. You see, very interesting. And then that's n- number th- three. three. So you have uh, identity. You have heritage, you have purpose, and now destiny. 
destiny. Where am I going? That is, where am I heading? Where is this purpose that I have just found? Where is, what's the end goal? What, what, why is that my purpose? You're saying it right. Okay. What is the end? And God has an end for us all that's far more glorious than our beginning. Wow. You see? Wow. And that's really what we have to lock into. That's why they say vision. Without a vision, people perish. Vision locks you into the end. And you pursue it. You see? As a matter of fact, I have a statement that says, your destiny, you're not driven to your destiny. You're drawn by your destiny. Your destiny draws you. It's far more powerful than... You're not driven by your destiny. You're drawn to it. You're drawn to it. Your destiny draws you. And that is powerful. And I can tell you this. It is m- your destiny is more powerful than your desires, your ambitions, what people want you to do. Mm. And the only thing that can prevent you from fulfilling your destiny is you. If you are distracted, if you are taken uh, and attracted by other people or misused or you don't use your opportunities... And so, destiny draws you to itself. And so, if you discover purpose, it's tied to your destiny. So, you need to discover, where am I heading? And I put it this way. People ask me, you know, uh, so, Brother Morgan, when you die, what would you like us to say about you? I say, I want you to say, I expect God to say to me in the end, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have fulfilled your destiny. I ask people, you know, who creates your destiny? And as big grown people, you know, debate for half an hour. Some say, oh, God determines my destiny. Some people say, no, I determine my own destiny. And we have to settle to say, well, I'll tell you the answer. Can I guess? Yes. Destiny determines you? That's a very good way to... I I must quote you now. (laughs) 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 Yeah, the point is this, that God has a destiny for you, but not many persons get there. Right. They create their own. Mm. You see? And that is why people die unfulfilled. That's why people kill themselves. You see, but 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 you have said, oh my goodness, I need to write that down. Destiny determines you. That's great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Inspired by you. (laughs) Yeah. And then the final um, question is, how will I get there? Mm. And that has to do with potential. And potential must be tied to opportunity. Because don't try to become something that you don't have the potential for. Mm. You see? Otherwise, you, you're deceiving yourself. You know? What's my natural tendency? What are my gifts like? If you're a singer, go sing. You know, If you f- 
a sportsman, go and run the race. <laughs> Whatever you are, you know, if you're in media, go and, go and do it. Yeah. You see, and you have the tendency and you will enjoy it and you look for every opportunity. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, you're not saying like create a life plan and follow that plan until you reach the end and then you're good. You're more saying when you understand your identity, when you know your purpose, when you know where you come from and where you're going, you'll be able, because opportunity comes to us every day, you'll be able to recognize yeah. the correct opportunities yes. to get you to where you need to go. Take advantage of the opportunities that come. Don't go to every open door. Find out what's behind that door. Ooh, that's good. Because, because if you go into the wrong door, you may be locked away from your destiny. And you live a miserable life. Whoa. So you do need to look to see what door is God opening for you. Then go and study there. What door is God opening for you? Okay, go and, and work there. What door is God opening for you? Yes, marry that young lady. <laughs> what door <laughs> is God opening for you? And that's a very important one to, you know, marry the right lady. Because that's what God says to, said to the first man. Mm. You see? The animals can't get you there. You see? They're useful. You can name them. They'll follow you and all of that. But you need a helper. Just right for you. You see? And, um, and I think that this studying, and I use it quite a lot in counseling and helping people to discover themselves, um, five key cues discover what your true identity is which is in god who you are and whose you are and whose you are and you have to become the whose because who you are you know you're a son of man born of adam but you have to become a son of god you have to be born again mm. and it's in that being born again that you discover your purpose you see and then your heritage you know you need to know how your past has impacted you. Some of it is good, some of it you have to throw away. You see? And then there's your purpose. Why was I born? Then you need to know your destiny. Where am I going to end up? Where do I want to end up? You know? And then you want to know how will I get there? Your potential and opportunity. And so if every individual understands these key questions of life, that is the foundation to build a strength-filled nation. Well, and, and this, is, this is very important because, you see, um, in the church, the church is designed, the local church is designed with a kind of ministries and giftings that are supposed to build up and to mature the individual so that they are not just left as, I say, sons of men, born of Adam, that's the man of the flesh, that's the old man, but they are now born again, they become new creatures, and they live by the Spirit of God. You know, Now they are sons of God, and sons of God are heirs, co-heirs with Christ, and can then go out and disciple nations mm. and evangelize the people. 
and bring the presence of the Spirit of God into every man's world. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is... I don't want to stop talking. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> we're not... If, if, if you're okay to stay. Yeah. I have a couple more things. Okay. I'd I'm love to ask it. you. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. So, we were talking a little bit beforehand, and you were talking about how the problem in the church. Yeah. And you were describing to me how the church... We are the church. The people are the church. It's not just a building, right? Right. So, there's the individual level the local, mm-hmm. and then the statewide or national city city yeah. level. Yeah. So so where do you think the church is going wrong today? Like, because I feel there's a lot of, the church is um, lost respect of the world, I feel. A lot of people will point to the hypocrisy. People will yeah. point to... The church, for a lot of different reasons of being wrong, or however it be, the the I guess the best way I can say is the respect's not there. Yes. I think the church, generally speaking, I think that we are going through a, a revolution now, and, and the church is getting awake, awakened. But I think that over the, over the years, the last couple of centuries and so on, the church has become very traditional. Mm-hmm. The church has become very doctrinally structured. Mm-hmm. Church has become denominationally organized, and um, and the when you talk about church today, people are defining it as a local church, what we call the local church. Sure, and I think the local church is generally speaking in trouble today. Um, you know, there's a saying in in the prophets that um, new wine is in the cluster. You know what clusters are. Clusters are little bunches of grapes. Yeah. You see? It's like a cell group. You know? In in the in early church. Church didn't begin <laughs> with buildings and with organizations. The church began, people went from house to house. You really had cell groups. And um and we need to restore that. Because actually, why people leave the local churches? Because the local churches are not meeting their needs. And there are people who are battered, beaten, broken, oppressed, poor, you know, disillusioned. People are lost. You know where you need to be? You need to be in a small cell fellowship, cell group, mm-hmm. perhaps in, in a home. A lot of homes now are having Bible studies, they call them, or, or they're getting together on a Friday night or on a Saturday or on a Sunday. And, um, and small groups. And I call these cell fellowships, you see. And the, the good thing about a cell fellowship is that it is um, it's, it's intimate, it's small, it's trusting. You can trust one another. It's personable. It's, it's very personable, and you can be transparent there. You can talk about what happened to you last night. You can talk about, you know, things that happened when you were abused. That and are real. And, and things that are real. Because you're talking about it in a cluster where you're all together. Mm-hmm. And nobody going go outside and talk about you because we, we love each other. Right. That's where the koinonia of the New Testament comes in, the fellowshipping. We need more of that. And uh, I'm talking with local churches that are asking the question, why are our 
young people leaving the church? Why are people just abandoning the church? And I said to them, because you're not meeting their needs, you know, because the local church has become a Sunday morning service. That, that is really the wealth of the, lo the local church. If you have a great preacher who can preach every Sunday morning, you know, they may do other things, have Bible study on Tuesday, or you have prayer meetings on Thursday, you have youth groups and so on, but they are not personable. Mm. You see? It's, and the, it's the mega church mentality. It's like You're taking words of out of yeah. my <laughs> mind because that is the goal of a local church. Local church tries to get bigger and bigger, you know? And um, you know what COVID has done to a lot of local churches today? What's that? It has emptied the church and the church is left with a large organization, with um, buildings, structures, staffing that they cannot afford to maintain. Mm. And it's a real, real problem. And, um, and I, think, I think that what we really do need is to get back to the local church <coughs> where we understand, you see, that uh, the local church is set up to mature the people for worship amongst the people, devotional worship largely, and and for teaching and discipling, mm -hmm. training for accountability, you know, and to look after the poor and amongst us and so on, you know, and um, and if you can do that, as Paul explains in Ephesians chapter four, you know, these ministries are given for the maturing of the brethren so that they can go out in ministry. So that's the goal. Why, why disciple, why train to send out? To put it another way, why be a local church? Mm. A local church is supposed to empty itself, not get rid of them, you know. That's where you're a member. That's where you're covenanted. That's where you are taken care of as a as um, a household of faith. That's fine, you see. But our problem in the local church is that it is, should I say this, it's run by a pastor. Mm. And that's a big problem, you see. Um, people in the local church should be run by a company of elders who are governmental, but who have ministers and ministries functioning under them. I see. see. You can always have a lead elder or a lead apostle or as in Revelations, they talk about the different candlesticks. Each church has its candlestick and when God comes to the church, he doesn't come to the people to find it. He comes to the angel of the church. Mm. It's a messenger of God in that local church and he talks to them. But what is missing now and I think it's breaking out. What is missing now is the city expression of the church. City expression of the church. Yeah. You had the cell churches. You have the um, local churches, or I call them community churches, mm -hmm. but you need the city expression of the church. You know what the city expression of the church is? No. It's a gathering of the saints. Of the saints. In the city. Mm. You see? You don't have membership there. But you have city elders. 
to gather the people for three things. High worship and praise. Not in the sanctuary. The sanctuary now is the sky. <laughs> Do it out there in the stadium or out in the city square. You know? And it is not for the church. It's for the city. Mm. So people come because you have these remarkable worshippers. You know? Gospel artists. And they're ministering. You know, the biggest expression of church today, I see it in Jamaica, is when these gospel artists, some of them used to be in pop world, now they're gospel artists and they put on these shows, you know, and it's not a thousand people come, you know, it's 20,000 people, 30,000 wow. people come, you see, and they have, we need that for worship, you know, and you worship for two hours. Just giving praise and thanks and dancing and carrying on. I'm telling you, non-Christians will come to it. Because they want to celebrate too. So that is very important. And you have drama in it as well, you know, and, and the reading of the word. It's, it's very creative. We have done that in Jamaica. Oh, yeah. But the other thing <laughs> is to create an altar of atonement. And intercession. What does that mean? An altar of atonement. It means that you need to have an hour, perhaps an hour and a half of just praying. Mm. And you have people praying. Do you know when the people in the city are disgruntled over their politicians and their governments, right? And they take out, they have these mass gatherings and they run around with their signs. Signs, you know. We want justice, we want this, we want this. You see? The church needs to create that setting for people to bring their signs. Wow, so it's not just the signs for the media, oh. it's for God. You bring them and you put it down on the altar. Wow. And, oh, and then now you have your praying men and women who stand up and see those signs and say, God, hear the cry of the people. They want justice. They have been mistreated. They have been fired. They have been this. They have been prejudiced against. They have all of this. There is walk and all kind of stuff. You know, that's really where it should go. Wow. Not out there and police watching you and them ready to tear gas you and all that. <laughs> and you, you know, it needs to be brought to the altar. And the cry of the people must come up to God. And it must be brought by the priests, meaning the intercessors. God says, I look for an intercessor and I found none. Why? Because the priests have become unholy. They're not bringing and bearing the burden and the sins of the people before me. That's really what we should do. So that needs to happen in that gathering as well, okay? And then we need the prophetic word mm. that should be now brought by God speaking and saying, thus saith the Lord, right? And we must speak to the nation. When you gather in the city, it's not for the church. You speak to the nation, how 
borderline embarrassing is it that the world, non-Christian people, they're as they're dedicated. They go to concerts, hundreds, thousands of people to worship a band that's singing about dribble, about nothing. <laughs> Goes out, protests for hours on end, violently yelling passionately yes. for issues of the world. And then you have the media or the politicians or the different persons standing up and cursing the government. Church does it too. Rather than bring the answers. Wow. Like Josh like like Daniel. Hey. Can you imagine? Nebuchadnezzar wanted an answer. His counsel, his soothsayers didn't have the answer. And somebody says, We have found a man. And Daniel goes before God. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar what God already told Nebuchadnezzar that him don't understand. Wow. And he interprets it. Look at Joseph. Um, who is it? Joseph. You see? Imagine Pharaoh says, can we find a man such as this in whom dwells the spirit of God? These, your presidents, your prime ministers, your kings, your governors are looking for answers. And they can only look amongst their party leaders and their party followers. You know, rather than looking to the men of wisdom. Wow. The men of God. That's where the church is failing. And I'm saying to you that this needs to happen. When the city gathers, the church gathers as a city. But it will never happen. It's not the gathering of the churches, you know. It's the gathering of the saints. The churches must release their people. Do you know... Where I learned that from? Where? In the Old Testament, God says to Israel, five times a year, you must bring the people to Jerusalem. And they had festivals for a week. Five times a year. And they're fun. What do you mean it's fun? Everybody came. Yeah. They had feasts. <laughs> they had worship. Enjoyable. They had intercession. They had everything. Wow. It's one of those times when Jesus was there and Jesus spoke to them. He says, I'm the light of the world. You see this, that light? I'm the light of the world. You know? And that's how the church is missing that today. And, um, and it's in the city church that you find your professional people. A lot of them already work for government and work in the corporate world, but they need now to realize that they must work for God. And they mm. must come together in the city and form groupings. The archaeologists, the, or I should say the architects, mm -hmm. the health people, the educators, the judicial people, they must come in their groupings and do their research don't depend on the research that the government does. Do their own research and come up with the answers and begin to make, uh, produce projects and plans and speak to the nation from there. Don't wait for media people to tell people what to do and what not to do and conspiracy theories. That, uh, 
everything somebody said, them said that's a conspiracy. They must say it because you know why? People don't anymore trust the media. Very true. Just like they don't trust the health people now. Mm-hmm. Just like they don't trust the economy, the, the business sector. Just like they don't trust the politicians. The biggest uh, riot and, and the biggest fight today is not nation against nation. It's a nation people against their own nation state. It's happening in America. It's happening in Britain. It's happening in it's happening all over Africa. It's happening in Europe right now. Mm. It's happening in South America right now. The people no longer trust their leaders. That's why you can have a parliament, a, a senate, and it's almost 50-50. That's not how it's supposed to be run. Right. We have today governments run by political parties rather than being run by the people that were voted into office. Wow. You should never have a, an opposition because the opposition is, is political and you're not getting answers there. I am telling you that. We oh, I see it every change. day. It's what is happening every day, but they will never change it. Mm. The church Only has to change w- it. Wow. Kingdom has to come with a new understanding of what the Senate should be. You know, if you have, a, you, you, in America, you have the, the, the Senate, you have the what, Congress, mm-hmm. Congress debates and they, they plan and they organize. You see, it should not be. Republicans against Democrats. It should be all the people that have been voted for. Not some are opposition and some are whatever the government. No. They are all in there entrusted by the people to govern. And then you need accountability. So then you send it to the Senate. Mm. And you don't send it to the Senate of Republicans or Democrats. You send it to Senate that have as their responsibility to vet everything that comes from the Congress. And all of this was designed by the Bible. It's designed by God. Like well, the government systems, right? <laughs> we I know we can't spend time on that today. But <laughs> okay, I okay. Can, I <laughs> but I can tell you, I can tell you that the Constitution for the running of a country is already written in the book of Deuteronomy. Mm. It's the laws of Moses. Yes. We can adjust and so on, you see. But it, it these are the laws that Moses, the reason why Moses spent 40 years with them is because he was developing a cultural society based on the law of God. And the people eventually ask for kings, you know. God say, you don't know what you're asking for, but let me tell you something. You <laughs> want kings like those people? That's not what you want. What you want, <laughs> you want a king who, when he is appointed, he needs to get a copy of the Pentateuch. Mm. Right? And he must study that thing day and night. And that's how he must run the country. Do you know in history, I'm a, I'm a historian too. <laughs> but do you know that in history, the, the law of Rome, of 
government of Rome gave way to the Christian church. Yep. And then it went, and a lot of mistakes. But then the Christians went into Europe. Do you know that the British law was built on biblical law? The Christian law was built on biblical no, no. law? The, the English law. Oh, the English law. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. English law was built on the Deuteronomic law system. Yes. I w- as I read the word, I see it. I'm of like, course. oh, yeah. Of course, it has gone through a lot of changes now, and I'm messing it all up. But, but the point of the matter that I'm trying to say to you is that um, the Constitution should be built on the principles, the ethics, and the morals uh, values that are set out in the Deuteronomic Code. Mm. Well, I can't think of a better way to end the show. Pastor Peter, this has been the most... Wonderful, intellectually stimulating, <laughs> and honestly, like you, you laid out a groundwork, a great, great, great groundwork of how to actually legitimately make some change. Yeah. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. And if you did, I would urge you, please share this with your pastor, share this with your community. If you enjoyed this and you think that it, it gave it brought you the value, please pass the value on and share the show. Dr. Peter Morgan, thank you so much for being here, and I appreciate you greatly. Well, I trust that I have made you into a revolutionary. <laughs> not to be rebellious, yes. but to have a quiet revolution. A revolution can be quiet. Should be quiet should be quiet, but it will be radical. Mm. Just because it's quiet doesn't mean it's not powerful. No. As a matter of fact, you must become salt in the earth, light of the world. You must become the yeast in the dough. <coughs> don't, tack, don't, don't go with your sword <laughs> and to destroy the White House or anything. Right. You know, it's influence. Mm. And you must influence your world until you can replace it. Change your world, change the world. Yes. All right. Excellent. <laughs>